preparing for our separation from IBM, and when we do, we'll be a new and focused leader in IT services. And today, we're taking the next step in our journey with the naming of a world-class board of directors. As chairman, I'll be joined by nine leaders in business and academia, people with a global perspective on business, and how to build a company with a new and vibrant, customer-centric culture. This is Governance Matters, the podcast for corporate secretaries. I'm Jeff Cossette. In this age of exponential change in business, society, and capital markets, board members have a special role to play in navigating transformation. And for their part, corporate secretaries have an increasingly vital responsibility making sure directors get the information and training they need to adapt to our evolving situation. Later on, we'll hear from ComputerShare's UK Governance Services Managing Director, Madeline Scrafton. She's got some well-versed and best practice advice on how corporate secretaries can shine in that particular task. Company secretaries really need to think about, well, how will we arm our directors to ask good questions about this, not necessarily give them all of the, the possible answers and information about, about what it is. But first, Governance Matters explores the experience of change at the personal level. Toward the culmination of his 13-year career at IBM, Senior Counsel Evan Barth set much of the company's governance tone with a sophisticated and highly effective year-round investor engagement operation. Everything was just about as hunky-dory as any corporate lawyer could expect. Then, Barth quit. Now, as Assistant Corporate Secretary at IT and Services spin-off Kindrel, Barth is getting the chance to hash out a new governance identity, with a new team, a new board, and a new way of doing things. He's been forced to adapt and develop new relationships. So, how's that working out for him? Let's find out. Tell us about the, the Kindrel posting. You established a reputation at IBM. Why, why go to Kindrel, and what are you hoping to do there? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So I, I spent the majority of my career at IBM. Uh, I was there um, over 13 years um, by, the, by the time I transitioned over to Kindrel. And, you know, I, I think what's most exciting about Kindrel, it's, it's the best of both worlds. So, you know, Kindrel basically spun out as a as a $19 billion revenue company, right? So imagine a startup that already starts with $19 billion of revenue um, and, and, you know, and a fairly substantial market cap. At the same time, you get kind of the entrepreneurialship of a new company. Um, in some sense, you get you start with a blank page. And in terms of governance, it's, you know, governance is at this crossroads right now with the intersection of ESG the E and the S of ESG into, into governance. And to be able to start with a blank piece of paper and, and kind of you know, take a step back and look what the committees do um, and look, look what the board does and, and look how management um, can help frame the message and, and, and support, you know, initiatives and process. Do it, you know, it, it's a very exciting sort of balance between, you know, an entrepreneurial shift posture, but sort of having the backdrop of a $19 billion um, company, and 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 the, and the legal department, 
Uh, Let me just I jump feel- in there. How often would that happen in, in the in the average career of, of, of someone who does a corporate secretarial function? Do you, know, you know what I mean? Is your transition something familiar in the uh, in your business? Yeah, I, I think it's relatively rare. Mm, okay. Um, you know, there have been a few uh, spinoff announcements more recently um, of, of major companies. Um, it's certainly not something I expected in, in my career. Mm. Um, you know, I, you go to a company like IBM and um, you work with, with sort of a tremendous legal team and, and, and a great business client. And you know, part of the benefit of... of benefited at that job and position um, when there's continuity. So, you know, I've worked, when you work with the same people in finance uh, and, and accounting, um, you know, when you're reviewing SEC filings, there's certain trust and, and certain, you know, knowing your client and, and, and the client knowing their lawyer. Um, and, and I just felt that, you know, before the spinoff opportunity, it wasn't something I, I was, I was necessarily looking. I, I, enjoyed my tenure at IBM and, and, you know, even within the same organization, sort of similar role, I, I felt like I was constantly growing, you know, as a professional. So why did you make the move? What was the, uh, what was the attraction? It, it, it's a good question. You know, look, after 13 years at one company, um, and, and not that I was looking when you're, when you're presented with an opportunity, you know, you have to look at it for me being presented with an opportunity, you know, it wasn't a new company. Um, a brand new company in the sense that I wasn't joining an entire new legal team. So to me, the thing that kind of sold me was, um, and I give credit to IBM, they, they um, set up IBM legal department. They set up Kindrel to have just a tremendous all-star legal staff. Um, hmm. General counsel um, came over from, from IBM and someone who I worked with. And a lot of the senior lawyers also came over. So for me, again, you get this opportunity where, it's an entrepreneurial role, um, but it's with a big company, and you sort of have the, the help and support of of people you worked with and people you respected. Um, in a sense, it was the opportunity um, to take on a new challenge in my career, but with, I would say, a soft landing. I wasn't walking into a place where I knew nobody. And, and that part, I think, really helped kind of get the ball rolling, um, you know, very quickly to sort of start establishing things. In terms of the process, how important was it? I mean, IBM had established a, a sort of a governance record. A lot of the shareholders now in Kindrel were, were with IBM and so on. I mean, how important was it to pay so much attention to that legal staff and that corporate secretarial kind of, um, I don't know, uh, profile, I guess we would call it, or standard? Yeah, I mean, you know, personally and, and perhaps somewhat selfishly, right, when when you're when you're looking at a new opportunity, um, you know, the upside of, of an established company which was a completely outside opportunity. You would be able to look at the legal staff and, you know, kind of get a sense of the reputation and the people who work there, you know, a new company, you know, brand new, you don't exactly know how it's going to mesh. Um, it's, it's a leap of faith, you know, and when presented with the opportunity, to be honest, the thing that really pushed my decision over the line to take the opportunity was, what was the opportunity to continue to work um, with a lot of the senior lawyers at IBM that I respected and, and, and really had a relationship with while also getting a sense to, to build a team and to work with, with new people, new perspectives. I mean, I really think the spinoff is the best of both worlds because I keep going back to it. it. It's a chance to do something different and new. 
you know, but but also with the backdrop of, of sort of that, you know, security blanket of, of having people you can fall back and rely on. You know, some of the people, again, I worked at IBM for 13 years. Some of the people that came over, I worked with my entire tenure at IBM. Hmm. Um, and to be able to hit the ground running with those relationships already established was, was really huge. Is there any model you could work off, uh, sort of previous spinoffs that, that you, you sort of gave you confidence that this would work? Or, or was it just, or, or, or were you just confident that you could, you could take that IBM team and, and transplant it into this new venture and work seamlessly? Yeah, I mean, you know, personally, my team, I built mostly a new team. Um, I, I, most of my team was external hires, um, and that was daunting but exciting that you get some some fresh perspectives. Um, the one downside of working at a com- one company for so long is you you're, you you just know how they did things, and you have a uh, perhaps a certain bias, whether you know perhaps it's unconscious on, on the right way to do things, or if things you don't like. No, this is not the right way to do things or, or not the right words I'd use in a certain situation. But it's hard to get you know, different perspectives. Um, and, and the new team, you know, my new team, I have people from different experiences. I have people who, you know, weren't necessarily in governance. And, and that's even a, a, an interesting perspective that you just get kind of a hmm. common sense view. Yeah, no, sometimes taking a step back and looking um, – you know, people challenging, is this the right way to do things? And, and you know, if, if, you don't, if you've done one way for so long, you're, you're kind of, um, you know, you look at it that way. And I've kind of with an open mind that, you know, one thing I told my team when we sort of better went together is to challenge things, question, well, well, why do you do it this way? And, you know, a lot of times there's a good answer. And sometimes if you can't come up with an answer and the answer is, well, this is how we've always done it. Like it, it, it you should look at it anew. And, to be honest, that's that's one of the more challenging and daunting parts of the job, but honestly, one of the the most exciting parts about being at, at a new company that you kind of look at this stuff fresh. Again, it was certainly one of the top things that brought me over to Kindrel in the first place. So, where are you now then? I mean, um, in terms of I don't know, maybe it's a dumb question, but sort of hammering out your corporate governance identity. I know you have a whole new board, and but many of yeah. your investors are basically the same. So they have certain expectations, but maybe they also have hopes and dreams beyond the terrific service they were getting at IBM. Yeah, look, I think it's sort of, you know, I haven't been public a month yet, um, so I think it's a little early days on that, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see where, you know, the ownership of the company shakes out in the midterm or, or the long term. Obviously, IBM had a very strong reputation, but it's it's a different company, right? It's it's got a different market cap. It it, it has a different dividend policy. So it it's from an investor standpoint, from from a financial investment standpoint. You know, again, we'll see how it. You know, it's unclear what who will ultimately come. Um, how the ownership profile will change to, to what extent, you know, we'll see. And, and it's still early days on the governance stuff in terms of investor expectations. We'll obviously have, you know, calls and meetings with them as we go on. Um, you know, again, we've only been public, you know, uh, three weeks. But look, you know, we want to go into those meetings with a strong posture. We want to have a good um, governance profile. And that's kind of what we're working hard to set up. Um, so, you know, the the board speaks to itself. Again, I don't have a lot of experience building a spin-off board, but, you know, 
you know, coming into an IBM, you know, when a director retires, you know, you're sort of replacing, you know, you're sort of evolving directorships one at a time. It's a more daunting task to build an entire new board and have, you know, all those perspectives mesh at, at the same time. And if you look at our board, what jumps out is, is the diversity of the board in terms of backgrounds and experiences, right? You have CEOs, CFOs, CHROs, you know, chief tech officers, uh, corporate, like it's just every perspective of businesses, um, president of a university, um, all these perspectives sort of meld in, you know, non-U.S. directors, U.S. directors, um, and just the companies and industries they work in. It's just, it's a very, very impressive board to start on day one again, when you sort of build a board of, of 10 people from, you know, scratch. From your point of view, and not to go far down this rabbit hole, but I mean, in terms of their education, in terms of contemporary issues, what's your role in that? Are they, I guess, once again, they're diverse on that that issue? Or yeah, I think this is where two keywords to me come into to play: trust and transparency. Right, so. Mm-hmm. You have to build trust with the board, and certainly that takes time. Um, and you, I think you build it through transparency and, and, and listening. So, you know, obviously management has ideas on certain things and bring into the meetings that we have. Um, but, but at the same time, listening, um, the point of bringing on directors with different experiences, different international experiences, experiences on different boards and, 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 and their executive experience or their academic experience, um, it's to get all those perspectives and, you know, consider all of them and kind of build all that into into the governance, you know, practices, policies, dis, you know, disclosures. And that's that's what you're working on now, I guess. That's that takes up a lot of your time. All the you know, kind of committee charters, bylaws, and that sort of thing. Oh or? yeah, yeah. Just getting it set up, you know, certainly takes a, a lot of time. You know, we were born on day one with with a set of bylaws and committee charters and as is very typical with, with spinoffs, they're sort of approved, um, you know, in advance by the parents to kind of set them up. But, you know, in a sense, you get a, you get a chance to kind of look at those documents anew and, and um, you get new perspectives on them. Like what about this issue and what about that issue? And, and, you know, again, you want to have a board that's going to, um, look at things, you know, and, and, and kind of give their own perspectives and ideas, right? That's, that's the point of having a board as kind of with the talent that, you know, we have. Hmm. Hmm. So one way or another, it's going to be, you know, significantly differentiated from, from what you were working with at IBM. Yeah, I think so. Again, it's, 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 a completely new board. Do you see, I mean, your role, do you see them, would you like to sort of nudge them in a certain way or uh, is is there something collectively that you'd like to provide them with or? I can tell you even before the board even sat, right, the first thing that, um, you know, my, my general counsel asked when, you know, in considering this job is, hey, we got to hit the ground running on um ESG messaging, ESG practices, what we wanted this, what, what we want our messaging to be. And, and that was such a, um, a, a good sign that that was something out of the gate that we were going to be focused on and something, 
you know, you have board members from all over the world, something they're focused on too. And, and, and look, they're, they want to get up to speed in what you're thinking and, 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 and try to help, uh, evolve and offer, you know, offer their perspectives on, on, you know, on the things you're setting up. Um, so, so it's a lot, and, and there's a lot on, uh, you know, away from governance, right? That they're, they're entering the industry as, as a new company and, and, and where we fit vis-a-vis our competitors and, and customers and, and partners. And, um, you know, so just, just getting up to speed on, on really all of that as well. Can I ask just a quick segue? When you were talking about ESG messaging earlier, uh, how often did you work with IR people? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the investor relations role in sort of funneling and 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 creating this sort of messaging? Yeah, I, I think IR has a uh, uh, a role in all of that. Um, I think you know, I, I think a good ESG program brings in a lot of stakeholders. Um, you need IR. Um, but but you also need your your HR team, right? There there's a lot of ESG issues around um, HR issues and environmental issues and corporate citizenship issues, and um, you know ultimately you want your comms team involved, right? Because you you want um, you, you know in terms of the messaging and, and and what what you're putting out in the world. Um, you know I think ESG operationalizing kind of ESG is and this is not speaking from my company is just speaking sort of generally is, mm-hmm. is a hard construct because not hard contract, the challenging construct is it's really a cross disciplinary effort, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of things you do, like if you're working on a, on a quarterly report, right. That involves finance, accounting and legal, right. And, you know, and I like, it's, it's well known what the process is um, and the different stakeholders. And the role those stakeholders play with with the ESG, right? It's 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 not early days anymore, but it's still in terms of it's relatively new to a lot of the other things a, a corporate department will work on, and 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 working on on the proper structure and making sure you have the right stakeholders and what their roles are, and um, you know, making sure you have the right people at the table um, is is a, a very important aspect of it. So. I've heard that before, um, Evan. As, as, uh, frequently, just just that notion that 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 corporate governance people they they work inter office throughout all all levels of the company, and and, and most most people find that fascinating. They yeah, get, I think it's fascinating, and I think about um, my team, and and um, you know we're all brand new to Kindrel, and some of the other obviously have new people, and, and getting my team up to it's such a great career opportunity is being part of a company where you could be part of that effort because mm-hmm. your client base or, or sort of the people you work with at a company just grows by so much and, and sort of, you know, we talk about different perspectives of the different perspectives of, of different perspectives of management, you know, also matters and, and getting all those different um, people. So that, I, I think that's kind of, um, it, it, it's a challenging part getting the right, stakeholders on an ESG team together, but it's certainly one of the more exciting things. And, you know, you get people who are very energized, like, you know, people like, you know, let's say your, your chief diversity officer, they're very passionate about that huh. and to be able to be part of a cross disciplinary team and figuring out like, that's very exciting to them. That is. Yeah. I mean, so what are you concentrating now sort of moving to 
at, at IBM, you were lauded for year-round investor engagement. What's as Kindra? Where would you get the best bang for your buck in terms of engagement uh, activities now? Yeah, and again, on the governance side, it's still kind of early days on establishing some of that. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, from my perspective, engagement um, and reaching as many. Um, of our investor base as possible will be something, you know, part of our, part of what you know, my job will be. And, and again, it's early, you know, the company has been trading for three weeks. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, at our first proxy, let's say what, what, who our top owners will be and, and stuff like that. Hmm. But, you know, I personally have relationships with some of these, uh, you know, the people at these investors and, you know, would certainly want to, um, continue that as we head to as we head in, into that season. But again, it's sort of you know. Again, I'm not going to call it early, but uh, it's it, 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 that's that's still something that's uh, going to evolve. Right, right, and you'll have to stay in touch with that. Well, generally speaking, what do you think? Um, we can talk about Kindle specific, but what do you think investors are going to be looking at in 2022? What are their biggest concerns going to be? Boy, it's a good question. Um, you know, a lot's still going, moving in the world, and um, obviously with COVID and supply chain issue. But but from a governance perspective, I think it's 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 just going to be the continual evolution and messaging and, and cohesive messaging. Huh. Um, I just think you know the people. My biggest learning over the last you know, X number of years of investors, these investors governance teams have grown, right? So you used to do perfunctory calls and you wouldn't even necessarily get a governance person at, at your top holders. And they have really smart, sophisticated people and they have different perspectives. And, 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 you know, I think the biggest challenge is just making sure you kind of um, incorporate and, and kind of look, get, gather all the feedback you get from a lot of different perspectives and, and see how you can incorporate it. I don't, I don't know what the next sort of big governance, issue will be I don't know it's not it's not clear to me at this point but you know there's generally something uh, around uh, I'm guessing there'll be you know another you know one point was proxy access that you know and that's kind of evolved and you know there's always a, a new item that investors are focused on but you know the interesting thing the last few years is it's not homogeneous right it's now that these investors have built up their teams in the governance space, there's a lot of different views and perspectives on, on issues and different issues that some investors care about. Some may care about your net zero policy. Some may care about board diversity. It's not to say they don't care about all those things, but how they prioritize. Right. Evan, that's that's Chris for the mill. I, I think we can go with that. I like talking about your, uh, your, like your own personal experience. Is it working out as you expected, or were there any surprises that came along that that maybe you didn't expect? Um, um you know, the hardest part because everything to do is anticipating what the big issue of the day will, you know, the thing that has to go to the forefront. I think there's there was more predictability at an established company that's been around for a hundred years. There just sort of is, you know. I think it's worked. Again, I've been happy with my team. Um, I just, it, you know. It's a large, as you set up a company, I guess, until you do it, you sort of don't appreciate the large volume of, of things that have to get done in a relatively short amount of time. Hmm. Um, you know, the board meeting calendar 
board meeting calendar and you got to get stuff done for that. So, you know, it, it's sort of what I expected, but you know, it, you know, it, 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 it yeah, it, it's worked out. As I said, it's just, it, 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 it's a lot of work um, for everyone, I think, but, but it's interesting and it's exciting. I'll bet. What's next then? Uh, you know, in the next, not even public a month or uh, the next phase, what, what, how do you see that looking? What are you going to be concentrating on? Um, you know, the thing, I, the thing I am excited about um, is, um, you know, next, you know, there'll be a proxy statement. Ah. And that's exciting. And, and a lot of the stuff we're working on will kind of lead into what, you know, Kindrill's first proxy statement will look like and, and how we want to position ourselves. And, you know, I, I worked, um, one of the things I'm proud of at IBM is that we worked on it was we, we kind of redesigned the proxy a few years ago to turn it from a disclosure document into, you know, a, 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 a piece that advocated and, and kind of showed what we were all about. You know, I was proud of, of, of the work on that as it evolved. And it's exciting to now, again, start with a blank piece of paper and kind of figure um, how we want to position ourselves. And it goes, you know, hands in glove with kind of the processes and, and policies that we're adopting, right? And because and, that's the next stage of disclosure. So it's kind of exciting. It will be exciting to see like the stuff that we're working on and, and working to implement, you know, how that will translate in, into disclosure and, and ultimately how that will translate into some sort of shareholder engagement. We'll look forward to that proxy. Thank you. Evan Barth, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, and uh, you know, I appreciate all the good work you guys do. Maddie Scrafton came to her governance career in a rather roundabout fashion. She earned a nutrition degree at Oxford Brookes University. Then, you know how it is, one thing led to another, and she found herself leading a compliance remediation project for a global bank, which spanned eight countries and took over a year to complete. Now she's UK Managing Director for ComputerShare, where she helps all sorts of companies manage compliance and, generally do better, corporate governance. Like Evan Barth, she's in the corporate governance biz for the relationships. Sounds plausible. Here's her conversation with Ben Ashwell. Thanks so much, Jeff. Maddie, thanks so much for joining me today. Great to be here. Absolutely. And so, Maddie, we're going to be talking a little bit about director education today. Uh, we know that the role of the board has changed significantly during the last decade. Expectations will likely to continue to increase as investor views on ESG materiality continue to evolve. So how are corporate secretaries supporting their company directors through this with director education? It's a big challenge for them. Um, I think especially that the past 18 months um, in particular, 18 months to two years, have, have really stretched boards and directors um, enormously. Um, you know, not only have directors had to cope with business and regulatory change as normal, they've also had to adapt um, incredibly rapidly to operate through a global pandemic. Um, and, um, you know, alongside that, there's been these changes of, of rapidly changing um, 
shareholder expectations. Um, so there's been, you know, the the goalposts have moved, I suppose, in the last few years. Um, so so I feel like, and, and I'm definitely hearing this from people in the market, it feels like a really good time for company secretaries to just take a step back um, and consider what their directors really, really need um, in terms of development and training. Um, you know, sometimes company secretaries, you, you know, I've been there myself in-house when you just have too too much to manage. And so if you've already got some, some decent materials and collateral, you just roll it out for the next year. But actually, I think this is a time where we have to, to step back and really look at look at what we've got and make sure we're giving the dire- our directors the information that they need. Um, really, you know, the, the purpose of that is to so that they can make better decisions, um, so they can really be effectively challenging and also supporting senior management. Um, so I suppose it's a good time to do it. What, but what are people actually actually doing? I think you know there are different um, uh, different ways people are approaching it. I think. You know, certainly induction is one part of directors, part of directors training and just, you know, really making sure that what people have is very succinct and clear and gives them, gives the directors the high level information that they really need, I suppose, backed up with, with greater detail. You know, there can be a, a, historically, you see a lot of, you know, 70, 80, 100 page slide decks which, you know, if I was a director walking to an organisation, I think I'd I feel slightly queasy being faced with that. Um, so I think, you know, people are definitely looking at what they're giving their directors at induction points. There's a lot of questioning that needs to happen around, OK, what's the statutory stuff that people really need to know? You know, the kind of de- director's duties, um, you know, some of the compliance and regulatory requirements, okay, they, they definitely need to know about those. But also, what are the emerging areas where directors may not know everything about that topic? No one on the board may not know about it because it might be a very rapidly emerging topic. So, you know, some of the ESG topics, technology, for example, you can't ever know everything about it. So, company secretaries really need to think about, well, how will we arm our directors to ask good questions about this, not necessarily give them all of the the possible answers and information about about what it is. Um, So it's really thinking about what's going to help us arm our directors to think in the right way. Um, And and sometimes that's giving them materials. Um, Sometimes that's bringing in, you know, experts for specific areas where there's a lack of knowledge. Um, So it's really thinking around holistically, what do our directors really need? Absolutely. So, so lots, basically, for them to think about. <laughs> <laughs> That's very helpful. Thank you, Maddie. And I think you raised some really interesting points there. You know, there are there are certainly people out there that would argue uh, on a host of ESG topics that, you know, perhaps there needs to be board directors that have a, a skill set or a certain expertise that reflects that topic. But also that's been a conversation topic for as long as I've been covering uh, governance. I, th- I think back mm-hmm. to when cybersecurity emerged as a theme and there was a conversation about do we need cybersecurity experts in the boardroom? And of course, you have to balance all of this with uh, 
the the productivity uh, and the effectiveness of the board and, and not having a bloated board. And so, uh, you know, the answer that I've heard from a lot of folks is, well, you know, board directors have demonstrated throughout their executive careers that they can respond to new information and make decisions accordingly and ask the right questions. And uh, so, as you say, making sure that education is coming in, uh, I think is, is crucial at this kind of inflection point as we begin to uh, hopefully think about emerging from the last 18 months to two years. Um, but presumably, this also applies to subsidiary board directors. And of course, uh, you know, entity management has certainly been more challenging during the last 18 months to two years uh, as international travel has been inhibited. And uh, I think to some extent, all the ways in which we've adapted to to remote work, um, the, the sort of early challenges of that, I think, are to some extent, just dialed up a little bit more when we think about entity management <laughs> um, as a proposition. Uh, and so, you know, I'd love to to know again how you're thinking about, or, or how you hear companies thinking about this, not just for their their sort of lead board, but also across their entities uh, where you know where that's appropriate. Yeah, I mean, the the, the challenge is always having something that's consistent across the group um, and you know ensuring all of the directors are getting the knowledge they need but also accounting for the differing requirements of different jurisdictions and I think you know I, I do wonder I think it's that's become increasingly important making sure that you know all of the directors have, you know, have sufficient training. Um, I don't know if that's been impacted necessarily by by the ch- pandemic and the change to a virtual world. I think it's been on on people's radars. You know, it's been increasingly so um, because very often, you know, the things that go wrong, some of the risk that are involved in organizations it's it's sitting down in those entities that no one's really focused on you know historically there's been so much focus on the top co and and not enough on the subsidiaries but I think there's an extra layer really for subsidiary board directors I think they're in actually a much um, a much harder situation in some ways um, because there's an additional layer um, for them to, you know, they need to know what is required of them from the group as well, um, whilst meeting their duties as a director to that particular entity. I always think of it as, as directors needing to remember, like, which hat they're wearing at, at any point. And, and sometimes they need to, to change that hat quite quickly. So I think the main focus for company secretaries and, and something I see is just that coming back to that consistency point, you know, making sure that um, across their group in all of the jurisdictions, the key points are being given to different directors across the group. Um, and I suppose some of the ways to do that and to make sure you have visibility that that's, that's happening and you're sure it is, is to use, to use technology to roll out that training. Um, that's certainly, you know, probably the simplest way to do it. Um, and there are, you know, providers that that do that or some people deliver it themselves internally um, then you can really make sure that yeah in every region everyone's getting what they need because you can make sure those requirements are clearly understood by by COSEX in your different region it, it also really depends on your model for delivering company secretarial whether you have a very central model and so you can control it and deliver it 
yourself from the centre or whether you're relying on you know local cosex in lots of different different jurisdictions which which does make it harder because you're much less likely to get that consistency sure that's very helpful thank you maddie and you know you mentioned sort of uh, some kind of technology solutions there that uh, that may be mm-hmm. used or or that that could be a you know a part of the solution i'm curious about your sort of I suppose the question really gets at sort of short to midterm outlook for for you know sort of digital tools and online solutions and, and the role that they play in director education. Of course, there has been this sort of increased and in, in, to some extent forced adoption during the last eighteen months to two years um, as we think about director education. And I think I've you know I've talked to many corporate secretaries who've found that to be extremely beneficial. Um, but I've also talked to many corporate secretaries who say that in spite of that, that their directors, you know, have a preference for physical materials and uh, would prefer to revert back to that um, in the future. And so I'm curious, it strikes me as a topic where, you know, the the, the end user, i.e. the board director and the, the corporate secretary may have slightly different experiences or preferences as it relates to technology solutions. Uh, so curious about your your perspective there. Yeah, well, I suppose, I suppose the different preferences piece um, really comes down to, and, and this is this is not really about boards. This is about you know, human behaviour. Um, it's about learning styles. So you know, any any teachers will know a lot more about this than I do. But of course, you know, some people need you know hard copy materials that's how they you know they they take their time they stop they read things they read things again and that's how they absorb and that's how they learn other people really need to be you know forced to sit in a room to listen to people other people need things to be incredibly kind of visual um for them to absorb them so i think you know as a as a company secretary if you want to um to, I suppose, to suit all of your board, you've got to deliver things in different ways. Um, I'd say it also depends on the materials that you're delivering. So, you know, there are certain things where directors just need to know facts and they need some nice, clear, concise information about who they need to go to if they have a certain issue. And, And things like that, you can just provide it in in text it doesn't have to be you know too exciting um where there are other things that uh might be better um delivered you know in a more interactive and engaging way um in particular i think in in terms of training generally if you want people to absorb things it's take take for example um uh d- director's duties it's a, it's a really quite you know it can be frankly quite a dull topic and poor poor directors have to listen to this you know sometimes if they're on a number of boards they will have to learn it multiple times in one year and then they get it the next year actually what's most useful for them is to hear about different case studies um, and understand how this might apply specifically to them within that organization the kind of situation situational um, situational learning I think can be really helpful for them but in terms of online solutions yes it's definitely easier to be able to use digital tools to roll out training um, I mean, interestingly, I'm working with a, a FTSE 100 company at the moment who are, you know, historically all of that director's training has been in, you know, kind of 
PowerPoint slides, um, and they really want to give them something much more interactive that helps them engage with the, the purpose and the strategy and is more like, I suppose, some of the training that they roll out for employees. Um, and, you know, I think their directors will really, really value that and it will, will help them learn more and feel more aligned to the business. So, you know, I suppose in, in summary, it, there's definitely, there's always going to be a role for digital tools, but there's also always going to be a role for kind of inline, in-person training. Um, it really depends what you're trying to talk to them about. Sure, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, and, and finally, final question to you is, you know, when it comes to director education, I, I've heard it said that there can be a balance to strike between giving direction directors what they need in order to be informed but without doing so in a way that could alter their sort of independence by providing them with too much information or, or too much closeness to the, the operating side of the business. In your opinion, is this something that you think corporate secretaries need to be concerned with? Um, I, d- I don't think um, giving them too much information will necessarily impair their independence. So I'm not sure that it's an independence issue, but I just think there's a there's a balance to strike in terms of how much information they have time to to absorb to think about and and really making sure that what they are getting adds value and helps them to be able to make decisions they don't need to know um, everything about the business but they need to know enough to be able to challenge what is put in front of them you know that again there's also that balance of you know you've got to give them quality mi in the first place and then enable them to know enough about the business to challenge it so um you know i think that's also something for company secretaries that's you know always on the radar is you know the quality of the papers um the quality of the presentations uh, interestingly, actually, I did I did hear um, from a, a client that um, they were recording some of the presentations that were going to that were due to be well, well they, they were pre-recording the presentations for the board so that the board members could watch those in advance when they got the papers, um, and then on the day in the room there would only be you know there'd be the presenter would be there to ask questions so just be a Q&A afterwards and I, I really I, I really liked that approach because I just thought it really would it was a good use of time and gave directors a lot more time to really you know look look the presenters in the eye and engage with them and ask them questions not spend a lot of time listening to their talk um, so you know they would do that in advance so there are there are different ways of different ways of uh, getting the information to them but I quite like that one yeah that's a really interesting example um, thanks so much for sharing that and uh, we are up on time so Maddie Scrafton thank you so much for joining me today uh, and Jeff I'm going to hand back to you and that's your Governance Matters podcast our thanks to Computer Shares Maggie Scrafton and Kindros Evan Barth and thank you for listening in Montreal I'm Jeff Cassette.